Hey, good morning, everybody. It's great to see everyone on this Labor Day weekend. Uh, my name is John. I serve as one of the pastors here. Um, just thanks for joining us this morning, whether you're in person or online. We are really glad that you're here with us. Um, a couple of weeks ago, um, we started a new series called Spiritual Recovery. And I recall that Pastor Ted had referred to 11 signs of emotional, emotional burnout that many people are going through. And I remember as, you know, Pastor Ted was going through that list, uh, there were so many of them. I was like, yeah, that is me. And afterwards, after the surface, I heard from, you know, a lot of people that there was a lot of resonance there too. Uh, since that was two weeks ago, I thought it'd be helpful just to review those really quickly again as we launch into this series. So this is from Carrie Newhoff, the 11 signs that you're more than just tired, you are burning out, and see if you relate to any of them. So one, your passion fades. Two, your main emotion is numbness. Three, little things make you disproportionately angry. Four, everybody drains you. Five, you're becoming cynical. Six, nothing satisfies. Seven, you can't think straight, and you're especially having negative thoughts about yourself. So this is one trait that we're going to actually focus on more today. Eight, your productivity is dropping. Nine, you are self-medicating. Ten, you don't laugh anymore. And eleven, sleep and time off no longer refuel you. So as we went through that list of signs, uh, did any of those relate to you at all? If you found that you relate to a lot of them, uh, I want to tell you this morning that you are not alone. Uh, for many of us, the struggle to adapt to life over this last year and a half has left many of us just exhausted, right? Exhausted physically, emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. And if that's you this morning, my hope as I was preparing this message is that you might be able to receive God's incredible care for you this morning. That you would be able to receive God's incredible care for you this morning. Now, if on the other hand, you were, you know, as I was going through this list, you found yourself saying, actually, I, I don't really resonate with that list because overall, I've been feeling pretty good, all things considered. And if that's you, um, I'm that's awesome. That's great. And praise God for that. Um, but there's still something for you to hear this morning. Because the fact is, there are people all around you. There, I, I guarantee you, there are people all around you who are experiencing these things, who are on the cusp or deep into burnout. And maybe you don't need to hear this message for yourself, but God wants you to hear it for them to be uh, people who can extend God's amazing care for other people who really need it. So that might be the way you need to hear it this morning. So let's pray to God. Let's ask God to uh, meet us today, to speak to us. Let's posture ourselves before the Lord. Gracious God, thank you for this morning. Your mercies are new every morning. I thank you for our time of worship that we could gather together as a church. What a privilege that is. And God, we just bring, bring our whole selves before you. 
We want to hear from you, God. So speak, Lord. We're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I grew up playing the violin. Uh, I started lessons when I was five years old, and I continued these lessons all the way throughout high school. Around 10th grade, I decided to try out for the Cleveland Orchestra Youth Orchestra, which is uh, the premier orchestra in Cleveland, or in Ohio. Um, the Cleveland Orchestra is a world-renowned orchestra. Well, the audition was very intimidating. The way it worked was there were three judges, kind of like Americans Got Talent-like style, seated in the front row of the auditorium. And the auditioner, would, you'd walk on the stage, and you were the only person there, and you would be facing this giant, empty auditorium, except for like the three intimidating judges. So I was waiting for my name to be called, and I was getting very, very anxious, very, very nervous. And I felt, you know, all the classic signs. So there was like, a, you know, my, nut, my, my stomach was in, in, like in knots. My heart was racing. Um, I was, you know, sweating bullets. I would, my knees were wobbly. I was just, I was really nervous. And I was trying to take deep breaths and all that. Well, they call my name, and so I proceed to walk across the stage. Uh, and my knees are like wobbling, and I'm like really nervous. Um, and, then, and then this happened. Uh, I start to play, okay? But I was so stressed out, and my hands were shaking so violently that literally the bow was bouncing on the strings, right? So normally you play like this. The bow was bouncing on the string. And I was like, oh my gosh, as I watched the bow bounce on the string, it freaked me out more, of course, because I couldn't stop it. I was like trying to tell my hand to stop shaking, but it wouldn't. And then, of course, that made the bouncing even more pronounced. Um, so I was just a mess. I was like, this audition is terrible. It's terrible. Well, the judges saw me in my misery, uh, and thankfully, they were no like Simon Cowles, and so they were very merciful, and they said, we could tell you're really nervous. Why don't you come back and audition again for us? I never did. <laughs> so I'll never know whether I would have made it, but I do know this, okay? I do know this. In the critical moment, um, I wasn't able to play the violin to my ability as a violinist. And I think, I think we are living in a time as a society, as a people, as followers of Jesus, we are living in a moment when many of us are struggling. We are struggling to live up to who we truly are. Would you, would you kind of agree to that? We are struggling. The stress around us has been so high and so protracted, the burnout so real that we're showing up. You know, we're showing up, you know, whether that's at home or in the workplace, online, among friends, among coworkers, and we're showing up in ways that seem unlike us. And we're asking ourselves, what the, what the, you know, like, what am I doing? You know, that's not like me to act like that. And then number seven on the burnout thing where you have these negative thoughts, especially about yourself, well, those negative voices are like in overdrive. And so that usually little critical voice that's kind of running, like a running commentary on your decisions, on your looks, on your life, your existence, is all of a sudden like the volume is turned way up. And that voice is saying stuff like, 
what's wrong with you? Wow, way to mess that up again. You're such a loser. You're worthless. The last year and a half has brought so much change, like continuous change. It has brought so much loss, like devastating losses, so much trauma that I think we are all a little bit wobbly. We're all a little bit shaky, a little bit more unsure of ourselves. And we're struggling to remember and live into who we truly are. And so a crucial task of our spiritual recovery, which is what our series is about, is to do the work of recentering our identity. Recentering our identity. So what's that work entail? I'll say this. It is not the work of laboring to fix yourself. That's not the work. It is instead the work of fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. That's what it means for us to be a faith community in a faith village. We are a community of followers of Jesus. That's who we're following. That's who we're setting our gaze upon. And we proclaim that Christ is risen, that he's alive, and that he is Lord. We are a church seeking to live life with God. And this morning, my hope is that through the reading of Scripture and participating in the Lord's table or the Lord's stool, (laughs) that we can set our gaze upon Jesus and that he might help us this morning whether you're new to the faith or whether you've been Christian forever, that he might help us recenter our identity. So this is from John chapter 13. One of the most amazing scenes in scripture. Let's listen to God's word. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord. And rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. This is truly an incredible scene. And tomes and tomes have been written about the utterly incredible interactions that take place here. Jesus, the Son of God, literally 
lowering himself to the humblest position possible, right? Taking the form of a household servant, getting on hands and knees to wash the filthy feet of his disciples, including Judas Iscariot, the one he knew was about to betray him. It's truly incredible. This moment and the moments to follow would be some of the most crucial in Jesus' life. We know that this scene takes place during the Last Supper, which is where we get the Lord's table. And it occurs right before Jesus is arrested and subsequently crucified. And we know that later that night, he would pray in the garden. And his, his anguish, his heartbreak, and his stress would be so intense that his sweat would become like drops of blood. But in these critical moments, when all others would buckle under the pressure, when all others would just crumble underneath the stress, Jesus was able to rise to the occasion. He met the challenges of the moment with faith, hope, and especially with love. Look at what the text says. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father, and having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Up until the very last moment, Jesus was still about loving others, about fulfilling his mandate to declare to the world in word and deed that God loves the world. What enabled Jesus to do this? Well, Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew his identity. The text says it really succinctly in verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and he was returning to God. So then he got up for the meal and proceeded to serve the disciples. You see, Jesus knew three things about his identity. He knew that the Father had put all things under his power. He knew that he had come from God, and he knew he was returning to God. So let's unpack these things a little bit more and see how they might inform how we understand our own identity. So Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. So in other words, Jesus knew that he had all the necessary resources. He had agency. He had authority. He certainly wasn't being tossed into this situation like a rag doll. Rag doll. He wasn't being forced into it as if he was like a puppet on the strings. No, he had the ability, he had the power to step into this situation, and he had the power to step out of it. It was his choice. He wasn't a victim. You know, he wasn't a victim of God's plan or of human wickedness. In this moment, when it looked like weakness would overshadow Jesus, Jesus was still exercising great power. You see, one of the things that has made this pandemic so difficult is the sense of powerlessness that we have felt, this, the lack of control that we have over the situation. 
right? So many things have been taken from us that we normally get to do. So many of our choices have been limited, and we have to do this, we, we can't do that. And just when we thought we were starting to get this pandemic kind of under control, boom, Delta hits us in another surge. And it has been very disempowering, hasn't it? And so when we begin to think, I'm powerless, I have no power, we've lost, we've lost. Now, I'm not talking about like reclaiming the power of positive thinking, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about recognizing that if we have placed our trust and faith in Jesus, Jesus, he promised, he promised multiple times to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. You and I are not strong because you are healthy or competent or you have a degree from such and such university. You are not strong because of any of your human capabilities. You are strong because the Spirit of God dwells in you. You are far more powerful than you realize. Now, I know it does not feel that way most of the time. I know I do not live that way most of that time. But today, I'm challenging you and I'm challenging myself to believe and receive these words of Jesus to believe and receive God's words because he makes it clear you are powerful. Second Peter says his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Ephesians 3 says now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his what? To his power that is at work in us. And 2 Timothy, our kind of theme verse for the year, says for the, the spirit God gives us doesn't make us timid or afraid, but gives us what? Power, love, and self-discipline. Can you receive these truths today? Can you receive these? Can you place your trust in these truths? As followers of Jesus, we can recenter our identity by remembering how powerful we are because the Spirit lives in us. We remind ourselves and we choose to believe that. So Jesus knew his power. The text also says that Jesus knew that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knew where he, was, where he had come from and where he was going. Not in a temporal or historical sense, but in an ultimate sense. Uh, you know, they kind of say, don't ever forget where you came from. Well, I was, you know, I was born in Ohio uh, to the son of Taiwanese immigrants and middle-class family. That's where I'm from. But that's not ultimately where I'm from. Jesus himself, right, he was born in Bethlehem, grew up in Nazareth to uh, refugees, Mary and Joseph. But in this critical moment, that's not what he went back to. He went back to what, where ultimately he had come from. The critical knowledge that sustained him in the critical moment was knowing that he had come from God, God's self. John 1 tells us that in the beginning was the word, Jesus, and the word was with God, and the word was God. 
And so in the beginning, Jesus was united with God the Father and God the Spirit from eternity past in the triune God. That was his starting point. That's where Jesus came from. That's what he called upon in the most crucial moment. And so where do we ultimately come from? Our ultimate starting point is from the overflowing love and generosity of the creator God. Psalm 139 says that, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. When you feel worthless and lost, recentering identity means you remember where you came from. You remember where you came from. You are not a cosmic blip, an evolutionary accident, a statistical anomaly. The living God is your creator. You were born in the image of God, and you were reborn as new creation when you placed your faith in Jesus. That's awesome. I want you to remember that. And so Jesus knew that all things were under his power. He knew where he had come from, and he knew where he was going. Now, temporally and historically, the place that Jesus was going was no good. It was full of pain, misery, sorrow, and despair. He knew he would be stripped, beaten, nailed to a cross. He knew that he would be stuck into a giant empty tomb and a, with a large stone rolled on top of it. That's not what Jesus clung to in the critical moment. No, as he faced this, his sense of identity was informed by where he was ultimately heading. And where he was ultimately heading was home. He was going home. He was going to return to his heavenly position alongside God the Father. We have been surrounded by so much death and decay. And it has been all too easy to look around, to just soak ourselves in the news, all this bad news, and become consumed, like literally consumed with the thought of our mortality, to become preoccupied with the grave. The church, we are not grave people. We are resurrection people. Amen? We are resurrection people. That's who we are. And so as followers of Jesus, we remember that we are destined to a living hope and the troubles of our current moment are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. So let's not forget that this world is not our home, that we are aliens and exiles on our way to our heavenly home. And that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that we don't care about this world and what's happening in it. Actually, to the contrary, as followers of Jesus, we are called to deeply care 
about what is happening in this world. But what it does mean, when we know that our identity is heavenly, that our citizenship is in heaven, then that means that the outcomes of this world don't have an outsized impact on us. That we don't place our hope in the things that are happening in this world. And so we're able to kind of have this, almost like this holy indifference. Even as we deeply love the world, we have this holy indifference. Our identity is not enmeshed It is independent from what happens here because our identity is rooted in our heavenly citizenship. So friends, the challenges of this moment have been so intense and so many. And I know that many of us find ourselves in a place where our identity just feels battered, bruised, and shaky. And that experience is extremely disconcerting. It's deeply uncomfortable. It's painful. It's no fun at all. That's the bad news. But the good news is this. There's an opportunity. There's an opportunity before us. As, the, kind of, as all the clothes of our old identity have been stripped away, Right? We were literally, we, like during this pandemic, we literally had so many of the things that we normally identify ourselves by, whether it's friends, work, activities, those are being stripped away. We have an opportunity to try on a set of new clothes. We have the opportunity to remake ourselves, to rediscover our true identity. That's, that's the, the surprising and unexpected gift of this horrible pandemic. That in this place of uncertainty and shakiness, we have the opportunity to rediscover our true identity in Christ. And so to do that, let's fix, let's fix our eyes on Jesus, who because he clearly knew who he was, was able to rise to the occasion. I really believe that God wants us, his people, the church, to rise to the occasion. To live into our identity as God's beloved children. Right? To really press into that. To be a people whose confidence is so rooted in God and God's kingdom that we're able to become a non-anxious presence, or at least try to be a non-anxious presence where there is so much anxiety. To be people who are committed to loving our neighbor to the very end. To be people who love our enemy gosh, the world really needs that. The church really needs to live into its calling to love our neighbor. To be a people who are willing to get on hands and knees and serve one another, to carry one another's burdens. To be people committed to being virtuous, not just when other eyes are looking upon us, but in private when no one else sees. Let's rise to the occasion, friends. Let's seek to live into our true 
identity. On the first of every month, we take communion together as a faith village. And this is a practice that we do as a church that reminds us who we truly are. We were created in God's image, but in our rebellion, in our turning away from God and God's ways, we became bound to sin and death. And in the process, we became incapable of changing ourselves in the ways that matter most. But the good news is that Jesus, in his compassionate love, gave his own body and blood in order to set us free from our false selves, in order to set us free from the curse and destiny of sin and death. And he did that by doing the most servant thing imaginable, by sacrificing his very own life on the cross. And so through his life, death, and resurrection, we have the opportunity to be born to a living hope. But that is a gift that you and I must receive. We must say yes to it. We must say, yeah, I want to follow you, Jesus. And when we do that, Jesus' gracious promise is that he begins a good work in us that he will continue and complete until the day of Christ. That Jesus is the one that comes and abides in us and begins to transform us so that we can put our false selves behind and live into our true identity as sons and daughters. At Access, we practice an open communion table, which means that you don't have to be baptized to take the communion elements. But you do need to place your trust in Jesus and to begin following him. If there are some of you here today that have never done that, that have never consciously said yes to Jesus, and maybe this morning you're feeling a nudge by the Spirit of God to say yes to him, And you don't have to have everything figured out. You don't have to have all your questions answered. You simply have to say, yeah, based on what I know, I want to say yes to following Jesus. If you find yourself in that place today, I would love to invite you to take a step of faith and to come forward and let your yes be symbolized by taking the communion elements for the first time today. That'd be an amazing thing. And maybe you're here this morning And you have said yes to Jesus already, but you need to say yes again. You kind of fallen away or got sidetracked. Your identity in Christ is just kind of like all over the place. And maybe today is a time when you you kind of come back to that. You come back to your first love. And you want to renew your way and your commitment to Jesus. And so we're going to take some time to prepare ourselves to take these communion elements. Let's read this together as we prepare. For I received from the Lord what I also passed unto you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. And so let these next couple moments, two minutes, three minutes, just of quiet as the worship team plays, be a time where you can just do some business with God. Maybe it means praying to God and saying yes to him and renewing your commitment to him. Maybe it looks like just being silent and you don't have the words, and that's okay. God's still here. And just let God speak or bring certain things to mind. And when you are ready, I invite you to come to the table to pick up the elements and then return to your seat where you could take communion individually or those sitting around you. Um, for those of you who are gluten-free, we have a gluten-free plate here for you as well. Okay? So let's take this time to prepare ourselves. Take a moment to examine your heart, your mind, your spiritual life, and let God's Spirit minister to you. Oh, that was lost. Her. 
found its place in you. You lived our weary heads. You make us strong instead. You took these rags and made us beautiful. All that you've done, we will pour out our love. This will be our anthem song. Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. You are the one our hearts adore. Church, as we walk on the stage which is our lives, let's all just take a deep breath. And let's remember that we are more powerful than we realize. Let's remember where we came from. 
Let's remember where we are going. Amen. Let's rise and say our sending prayer together. Loving God, through all our years, let the church be a community where we learn about love and practice it, where we envision peace and work to build it, where we meet partners in the faith who wish to abandon everything that cheapens our discipleship, where we discover gifts and offer them. May your spirit guide us towards joy and generosity in Jesus' name, in the way of Jesus. Amen.